How many of you have ever found yourself saying the phrase, you're not helping? <laughs> you know, or maybe you've put it a different way. You've made, maybe you've said, with friends like these, who needs enemies? You know, you, you, you can imagine the scenario. Maybe, maybe there's somebody that you're counting on. You know, they said they would do a particular part of a project and then they, when they did it, it was kind of like, I honestly, I wish I hadn't asked because they, you know, they did it so badly or they did it late or whatever it is that there's places where we say, you know what? Honestly, with friends like you, who, who really needs enemies? Or maybe you can think of a conversation you were having and it was, you, there was a disagreement, but it wasn't an argument. And you're kind of having this conversation. You're exploring whatever the, the issue is. And then a third person comes along and they take your side and they turn it into an argument. And, and you're thinking, Oh man, you're not helping. You're making things worse. And of course, you can imagine all the ways that this happens in politics because, because we don't have, um, you know, we, we've got a system with basically two, two large parties and inside each of the parties is a, is a coalition of different interest groups and, and, uh, people with different issues. And so they, they may agree on, on one thing or on a couple of things. Maybe all they agree on is that they don't like the other party or something like that. But but they basically agree on on some things. But there's all kinds of things where they may not agree. And so you may find yourself, if you're if you're politically inclined, to be looking at other people who are on your side and thinking, ah, you're really not helping. In our reading today, I think Jesus is thinking that, or at least that's the way. You know, it's not in the Bible, but that's the way I read it. I think that's what is is happening. In, in the passage, I think Jesus is, is having that sensation, that thought go through his mind as he, as he has this conversation with the Pharisees. Now, for, um, for uh, Christians, it's hard for us to see the Pharisees that way. The Pharisees come across very poorly in the, the New Testament biographies of Jesus. That it's easy for us to think of them as the bad guys, but really, they were the good guys. They were the people who were criticizing uh, the, the religious establishment of the day. They were standing outside. We need to reform this thing because it's gotten off the, the rails. It's, it, it needs to be, you know, it drove into a ditch and we need to fix it. And the way that they fixed it or the way that they proposed to fix it um, was by turning back to God. They said, look, the world is a mess. No question. You know, it, it, it's a mess in the, in the broader world, but it's a mess even in Israel. Israel, which was which was God's special people who, whose purpose was to, to be a light to the Gentiles, to, to be a, a, a nation that the rest of the, the world could look to and say, they have, they have the real God. Our gods are false. That even Israel, they could look at Israel and they say, you know what? For the past 600 years, only, uh, you know, all but a, all but a hundred of those, we've been conquered by other countries. God has not, God has has looked at Israel and said, you know, you're kind of the same as the rest and let other countries run roughshod over us, that we haven't stood out. And honestly, the hundred years when Israel had some independence, that it wasn't all that great. And in fact, at the end, they invited the Romans in, you know, mistake number one, invite the Romans in to help you with your problems, right? So, um, and you know, now it's a hundred years later and the Romans are still there. So, I mean, they, they learned that, but the Pharisees were saying, our problem is that, is that we need to turn back to God. God is faithful. Despite all the bad things in the world and despite all the bad things in the life of Israel, we believe that God is faithful, that God will come through in the end, that God will, will do what only God can do. And we need to do 
what we can do. That God has given us a role. That we don't just sit back and wait for God. That God has given us a role. And the role is to turn back to God. And if a Pharisee and Jesus were talking and they said that, Jesus would go, preach. Amen, brother. Because Jesus would have agreed 100% with everything that Pharisee said up to that point. In fact, really the place where Jesus and the Pharisees would have disagreed was on the law. That that was the way that the Pharisees said, the way we will do what God wants us to do is to obey the law. To obey the law in the most exacting detail. To to look at all 613 commandments and we're going to do the 248 do's and we're going to do the we're going to not do the 200 the 365 don't do's we're going to do that so well that 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 we can have confidence that we've done our part and that everything else is up to God and that's the place where Jesus and the Pharisees would have disagreed and i think I think for a lot of us Christians, because of the way the Pharisees come across in the New Testament and other passages that talk about how the law works and what Jesus did in fulfilling the law, I think it's easy for a lot of Christians to say, yeah, but the law, the law is obsolete, the law is dumb, the law doesn't apply to me, that that's a stupid old law and, you know, silly things in there, and I can just ignore the law. And Jesus would have said to us, you're not helping. He would have said, with friends like you, who needs enemies? Because Jesus didn't feel that way about the law. Jesus didn't see the law as some terrible thing. You know, Jesus, Christians believe Jesus wrote the law, you know, long, long before he walked on this earth, that the word of God was expressed through the Jewish law. And when Jesus does walk the earth, he says things like this. Don't even begin to think I've come to do away with the law and the prophets. I haven't come to do away with them, but to fulfill them. He says, I say to you seriously, that as long as heaven and earth exist, neither the smallest letter nor even the smallest stroke of a pen will be erased from the law until everything there becomes a reality. And in the first century, when people are looking at the Pharisees and saying, boy, those guys take their religion seriously. They're doing all 613 commandments. I could never be as serious about my religion as they are. Jesus says, hey, take a look at them. I say to you that unless your righteousness is greater, not less than, but greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And in that same part of the the biography that, that Matthew gives us, he says over and over again, he says, you've heard it said, the law says this, well, I'm going to ratchet that up. I, you've heard it said you should not murder, but I'm going to tell you you shouldn't even be angry. That Jesus takes the law and elevates it to a place where even the Pharisees would say, whoa, this guy is intense. And so if we think of Jesus as kind of just pushing the law to one side, saying, oh, that Old Testament nonsense. That's not where Jesus is coming from. And that's the place where we need to, we need to, um, we need to appreciate that that is the nature of these disagreements that we see all through the New Testament, where Jesus and the Pharisees are butting heads. And so, so with that kind of background, it's helpful for us now to actually look at what Jesus' approach is. So we read, um, in our lesson today, we read that um, 
at that time, so we're still continuing from, from, from chapter 11. And in chapter 12, he says, at that time, Jesus went through the wheat fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they were picking heads of wheat and eating them. Now, when I was a kid, one of my neighbors had a fruit tree, and that was off limits. My parents explained to me that was their tree and not for us kids. And so you may think, well, they shouldn't be eating the grain in the field, but that's not the way it actually worked. In in uh, that culture, that was expressly allowed. The law had a provision that said, if you go into your neighbor's grain field, you can pluck ears by hand, but you aren't allowed to cut off any of your neighbor's grain with a sickle. So you could you could eat. It was part of the law, and and you could eat things as you walked along. You could you could eat grapes from their orchard. All kinds of things like this were allowed. You just couldn't make a business of it. You couldn't steal from your neighbor. But sure, your neighbor wouldn't miss some grain if you didn't bring a sickle. So that was the that was the idea. It was, a, it was one of many places that the law talks about how you can be compassionate to your neighbors. So that's not the complaint. The complaint isn't that they're eating the neighbor's grain. Their complaint is this. The Pharisees saw this, and they said to him, Look, your disciples are breaking the Sabbath law. Now, if you if you if you read in in that same section of the scriptures uh, where that they're referring to, it doesn't explicitly talk about the Sabbath. So, so what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath is the mandated day of rest, the, the seventh day that God has has ordained for rest. And what they're doing is they're saying it says there that you should you should have a rest, and it says here that you should uh, that, that your neighbor's field is is permissible for you to eat from. Therefore, go ahead and eat that six days of the week, just not on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, well, haven't you read what David said, what David did when those with, when he and those with him were hungry? He went into God's house and, um, and broke the law by eating the bread of the presence, which only priests were allowed to eat. And uh, he, he, Jesus is referring to a passage in um, the, the scriptures again, where First uh, Kings 21, David does exactly this. Uh, this is before he's King David, he's still just plain old David, and King Saul is, is looking to kill David. So David flees, and he and his, his uh, friends, his allies, are hungry, and there's no place they can go safely, so they go to the temple, or there, it wasn't the temple then, it was still the, the tabernacle at that point, he goes to them and says, "says Do you have anything to eat?" And the priest says, uh, "We are fresh out, except, of course, you know, the bread of the presence. We always have that, but only priests can eat that." And David says, "Can I have it?" And the priest thinks it over and gives it to him. So there is this story that that the Pharisees would have been very familiar with, in which David does this, and far from punishing David, uh, God elevates him to become king. So obviously, God's okay with this. And then Jesus goes on. He says, Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple treat the Sabbath as any other day and are still innocent? Now, our, our translation is very tame. I was looking at a different translation that said, that said, on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple desecrate the Sabbath. So, so a very strong language here. Um, and, uh, um, that's, um, I think the NIV says it that way. So, so, um, so Jesus is talking very strongly. He's making them wince, and, and, and he's saying, Hey, priests desecrate the Sabbath every Sabbath. 
And you don't complain about that, right? So essentially, Jesus' argument is this. Okay, he says, if mercy is greater than sacrifice, the, the, the special sacrifice of the, of the bread of the presence that was an offering to God and only priests could eat it, if mercy is greater than sacrifice in the case of David, and if sacrifice is greater than the Sabbath, every single Sabbath, as far back as people have been observing the Sabbath, then mercy must be greater than the Sabbath. So he's saying, read your Bible, check check my math. Don't you agree that this is what it must mean? And then Jesus is going to sum things up, and I'm going to come back to that because I trust Jesus to sum things up better than me. So we'll come back to that. But um, but he goes on. So I'm going to I'm going to skip ahead to uh, verse nine. It says Jesus left that place and went into their synagogue. So we're going to get we're going to second pass at this whole topic. And I I wonder actually if some of the Pharisees agreed with Jesus. They said, yeah, that's actually a pretty good argument. And so they changed the argument. And it says that it wasn't good faith. But but I hope that at least a few of them had had good faith there. So it says. It says, um, the, the question that, that they're going to pose is how much mercy? Okay. <clears throat> Assuming that mercy does trump, um, sacrifice. Assuming that, Jesus, how much mercy should we, should we extend? And this was actually part of a, an ongoing debate. About a century before the time of Christ, there was a, a, a rabbinic writing, and so we know that it was something that was in the air at that time, and probably still, um, in, in Jesus' time, people people debated, okay, I get the idea of mercy and sacrifice, right? But how much? So, for example, if there was a fire running through your town on the Sabbath, then you were permitted to help put it out. That was okay. On the other hand, if you fell off the roof of your house and broke your leg, then you had to wait until the next day to have somebody set it. <laughs> And so, so there was this, this tension of, we get the idea of mercy, but really only in the most extreme of circumstances. So that was, that was kind of the nature of the debate, um, sometime before Christ and, and probably still in the air at that time. So they're asking, how much mercy then, Jesus? So Jesus leaves that place and he goes to their synagogue and a man with a withered hand was there. And wanting to bring charges against Jesus, or the people who do want to bring charges against Jesus ask, does the law allow a person to heal on the Sabbath? So help us, you know, define the, the parameters of mercy. Does the law allow us to heal a person? You know, set that bone. Does the law, the law allow us to heal a person on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, who among you has a sheep that falls into the pit on a, uh, falls into a pit on the Sabbath and will not take hold of it and pull it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Jesus says, God isn't going to blame you if you rescue a poor little animal out of a pit on the Sabbath. That's okay. And um, and Jesus isn't saying, so what you need to start doing is quit rescuing the sheep. Jesus is saying that if you're going to rescue a sheep and if you're going to help put the fire out in your town, what do you see in between those two things? You see somebody who needs to be healed. So Jesus is coming down on the side of go ahead and set the bone. There's, you know, it's bad enough, you know, picture first century medicine, right? It's bad enough to have a broken leg in the first century. You don't have to wait till tomorrow to get started on that, right? So, so he says, in between the fire in your town and the sheep, how about that person with the broken leg? How about the person with the withered hand? 
So Jesus concludes, so the law does allow a person to do what's good in the Sabbath. And then he turns to the man and he says, stretch out your hand. This is exactly what the man can't do. He says, stretch out your hand. And I just picture this guy going like that. And that would be a great place for everybody to praise God. And we're going to find out what they do next week because that's not what they do. But the hand opens. He did it, and it was made healthy, just like the other one. So, what's the lesson? Well, Matthew has provided the lesson. There's a there's a, a literary structure that was very common in those days. It was kind of what I call a sandwich. It was this idea of, I will put the important thing in the middle. You know, that there's the bread on one side, then there's the peanut butter and jelly, and then there's the other bread. So, so essentially what Matthew's done is he's put the... He's put the summation in the middle. So we have the story about the grain on the Sabbath, and then we have the story about the hand on the Sabbath. And in between, Jesus sums things up for us. Jesus gives us the lesson himself. He says, but I tell you, he's talking about, he's talking about healing on, uh, um, eating grain on the Sabbath and what David had done. He says, but I tell you something greater than the temple, much greater than the, the sacrificial system in the temple, much greater than that is here. So what is something? Now, Jesus actually says something that he doesn't say someone, and that's more obvious in the, in, in the biblical language. So people have debated this. What is Jesus getting at? And some people have said, well, there's enough range in the word something can include someone. And, and you know, I'm not a Greek scholar, so maybe that's true. But, but, um, but other people have said, no, he's talking about this principle that mercy is greater than the temple. And still other people have said, no, he's talking about the availability of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is what is greater than the temple. The temple is a shadow of the kingdom of God, that the temple points to the kingdom of God, and therefore the, the kingdom of God is greater than the temple. So which of these is it? I honestly, I honestly don't think we have to pick that, that, you know, if you think about it, the kingdom of God is characterized by mercy. Um, mercy is the, the the fundamental attribute of the kingdom of God. God tells through the through the prophet um, uh, uh, Micah, as we heard earlier, he says, "What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God?" That this is the characteristic of the kingdom of God, and ultimately, this is shown best in Jesus. So maybe it, it does mean someone, not something, but Jesus. His, his life, death, and resurrection is a mission of mercy. That God has done in Jesus not what we earned, what we deserve, but what we need. So I don't think we have to pick between them. So Jesus says, if you had known what this means, I want mercy and not sacrifice. He's quoting a different prophet, the prophet Hosea. He says, I want mercy and not sacrifice. Then if you had known that, you wouldn't have condemned the innocent. And the human one is Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus sums things up that way. And I have no idea why that's there. Oh, okay, because, because, it comes back to me, because in all of this, Jesus has has stated how paramount the idea of mercy is. And not once did Jesus say, but the Sabbath's a dumb idea. That the Sabbath is for back then, back in the olden days, you know, well, they weren't very modern back in those days, they did Sabbath then, but you don't have to do Sabbath anymore. Not once does Jesus disparage the Sabbath. He simply says there's something more important than the Sabbath. And in fact, 
Um, this Sabbath principle, the idea that you should work for six days, but on the seventh day you should rest, um, even during um, plowing or harvest time, you should rest. This is this is commonly called, you know, the the most broken of all the Ten Commandments. It's the one we brag about breaking. You know, no one ever brags, "Oh well, I killed him because he deserved it," right? No one says that, but they do say, "Man, I've been working." You know, it's been you know it's been three weeks since I had a break. You know, people brag about breaking the Sabbath. So, so Jesus doesn't. Jesus says the Sabbath is a good thing, and so this is a place I think where we can embrace the healing power of and that we can have. Mercy as a goal, as something we aspire to, and Sabbath. And in fact, if we look at the, 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 the Sabbath ordinances, we see this was the original purpose of Sabbath. If we look at Deuteronomy, the Ten Commandments, it says the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. Don't do any work on it. Take a day off. Hey, and by the way, give the same day off to your sons and your daughters, your male and your female servants, your oxen, your donkeys, any of your animals, and even those pesky immigrants who live among you so that your male and female servants can rest just like you. The whole idea of Sabbath is to give people rest. It is to show mercy to people because people need a rest. So, how do we show mercy? Well, as I told the children, we show mercy by by giving people what they don't deserve but what they need. And, you know, this is something, you know, we're having our hugs um, uh, uh, offering today. And some of us will be volunteering to help pack those backpacks. Not because these children, we don't even know who they are necessarily, but we know that there are children who need a backpack with school supplies. And that's enough for us because we want to be a merciful congregation. So we're going to be merciful that way. But I think there's other ways we can be merciful. Um Maybe some of you have seen, if you're an online person like me, maybe you, you've seen the Karen meme that went around about a year or two years ago. It was this idea of, a, of a, an obnoxious person who wants to speak to the manager. And so it became this whole, you know, controversy, you know, was it racist? Was it sexist? Um, was it just an accurate depiction of these really bossy people? So, so there was this whole conversation. And I was tempted to show you a picture of it because you might recognize it, but I thought, you know what? That's not very merciful. You know, somebody's picture is out there on the internet, and I don't have to add to that. So, um, I don't know the story, and, and this is, this is, I think, another place where we can be merciful. When, when something, we see something, right? And it could be something in real life, or it could be something on the internet. Some, some video goes viral, and we say, man, what a jerk, right? Well, you know, do you know that person? Did you see the whole story? You know, increasingly there's so many cell phones out there that you may, maybe you get, you know, 12 different angles and you really get enough context. You can say, actually, the guy's a jerk, right? But maybe you don't. Maybe you get, you know, three seconds on TikTok that gets picked up by CNN or something like that or Fox or whoever it is, and they make a big deal of it. And maybe that's a place where we can be merciful. We can say, you know what? Maybe they were having a bad day. Maybe, maybe they needed a grain field to go through. They were hangry. Okay, I, you know, I don't know their story. That's a place where we can be merciful, and I think more than ever in the social media world, this is a place where we can we can certainly extend mercy. Now we can do it in the real world too. We can practice making excuses for people. I have tried to do that both with Karen, who I don't know, and the Pharisees, who I don't know, to look at what they're doing in the most charitable light that I can come up with. Now I disagree with them, right? Jesus said they were wrong, and 
I'm not going to contradict Jesus. Okay, I figure if a guy can can predict his own death and come back three days later, then you know, I figure he knows a thing or two. So I'm not going to contradict Jesus. But that doesn't mean we have to demonize his adversaries. We don't have to say that every single one of them was motivated by bad reasons. And I think we can do that with the people around us. Now, there are there are things that people will do that are simply inexcusable. We can we can make a habit of of excusing people, but there are things that people do that are simply inexcusable. And we have a solution for that too, which is to forgive, to to give up hope of a better past, to just forgive them and move forward. But we could practice in the meantime, we can practice making excuses for people, saying Karen was having a bad day or the Pharisees they were having a bad day. The uh, one, one of the things I read when I was studying for this talked about how the Pharisees could have avoided the whole problem if they had been merciful themselves. If they had said, "Those guys here in Sabbath, you know, here in the synagogue this morning, they look kind of hungry. I'll invite them over to my house for lunch afterwards." So, so uh, you know, I think a lot of the problems can be avoided if we're willing to be merciful. But I do want to talk about Sabbath, and in particular, I brought up the issue of social media. There's a podcaster that. Um, I enjoy listening to, and she announced last week that they were taking a three-week hiatus. And it was like, ah, because you know, I can quit anytime I want. I just don't ever want to. And I think maybe if if you have found yourself clicking those buttons, you know, if you've if you found yourself, you know, glued to the TV, you know. What it's five hundred and two days, five hundred and three days now since we began to flatten the the curve. You know, it's been a hard time, and I think this is a great time for us to say, you know what? There's news, but beyond the news, there's people whose ratings and whose ad revenue depends on me watching it. And I think this is a place where we could say, you know what? Maybe I need a Sabbath. You know, just one day in six, I could just not watch TV. I could not go on social media. And maybe like you, you'll find that you can quit anytime you want, you just don't want to. But maybe you can quit. Maybe you can give yourself a social media Sabbath. Now, last week we talked about how in the first century, people actually knew what it was to physically work. And so when Jesus offered them rest, that really meant something to them that was different from what it means to us. But I think this is a place where we can we can use our imagination and say, you know what, there is Sabbath rest. Maybe some of us are just genuinely working. We just have no ability to say, you know what, I'm just going to take today off. And if that's you, give this some thought too. Jesus never condemns the Sabbath. But if the thing that is causing you anxiety, the thing that is causing you trouble, is something else, it's psychological, then consider if you need to take a Sabbath from that. Say, you know what? Facebook can wait. Jesus doesn't condemn the law. He says he came to fulfill the law. But the law is still there. If you think you can live your life perfectly from the day you're born to the day you die, if you can live your life without ever once transgressing God's law, that deal is still on the table. It's called the covenant of works. 
And nobody has succeeded at it ever since Adam, except Jesus. By doing so, Jesus fulfilled the law. And he said, in its place, I'm going to give you a different deal. And that is the covenant of grace. And to help us remember that the law is now advisory. It's a peek at God's heart. It's no longer a requirement we have to do to satisfy God. To remind us of that, to help us take that into us and make it a part of our life, Jesus gave us the sacrament of communion. This is, he said, the blood of the new covenant poured out for us, this new covenant of grace. And I invite you to join us here and online as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not sure if I if I deserve it or if I'm qualified, if I've punched all the right buttons. You know, remember, Jesus stood up for his disciples when they were eating. Jesus will stick up for you when you come to his table. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we do thank you for mercy and Sabbath. Help us to navigate the tension between mercy and Sabbath. Help us to be people characterized by mercy. Help us, O oh God, to be people characterized by Sabbath. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.